0: The great comparative literature and mythology professor Joseph Campbell once said, follow your bliss, and don't be afraid, and doors will open where you did not know they were going to be. The spirit of the podcast is to learn how former WeGo Wildcats followed their bliss and for us to get inspired and learn from their stories. Welcome to WeGo Places. I'm your host, Brian Turnbaugh, English teacher at West Chicago High School since 2001. Our guest today is WeGo graduate from the class of 2015, Jacob Urban. Jacob is a 2019 graduate from Syracuse University with a BS in finance and energy. While at the CUSE, Jacob was a senior analyst for the Orange Value Fund, LLC, and helped manage the school's $5 million hedge fund. As a freshman, Jacob interned at Merrill Lynch, where he analyzed energy policy. His sophomore year, he interned at Macy's, where he formulated recommendations for the firm's long-term e-commerce strategy. By his junior year, he was at BP, British Petroleum, where he analyzed jet fuel demand and identified opportunities in biodiesel. In addition, Jacob writes, in fact, he's written over 90 articles for leading finance and oil websites focusing on stock analysis and geopolitics. On top of this, he also provided research assistant to Wall Street Journal writer Gregory Zuckerman for two years. Currently, Jacob works at British Petroleum in Chicago as an analyst in the Trader Development Program, where he monitors all Western Hemisphere refineries and the news flow around them and forms their Latin America and Canada crude oil demand forecasts. Today's guest is Jacob Urban. And uh, Jacob, uh, what year did you graduate? I graduated
1: West Chicago High School in 2015. Great. Uh, So Jacob, what do you do? So currently I'm in the Trader Development Program at BP here in Chicago. It's a division of the company that operates almost as a hedge fund. We trade commodities, products, so oil, gas, gasoline jet fuel biodiesel renewable diesel and anything else that might go into a, a car jet or truck um, or a boat and as, as part of that they seek to train the next generation of people to take over and uh, move all these millions of barrels of oil and oil products across the world so that's where I'm at right now uh, within the program I'm tasked with analyzing everything going on in Latin America and Canada from a political perspective and most importantly on a, from an energy perspective on how the politics will drive the energy markets. And then in addition to that, I'm tasked with monitoring all the Western Hemisphere refineries. So in those same geographic regions I mentioned, and then also here in the United States.
0: If I could follow up with a question with that, what are the tools that you use to research this? I'm curious to know the types of resources that you use to, to do this type of monitoring. What does that look like? Sure. So there's a handful of different things I and uh, it continues to change as the
1: world changes. So number one is we have some pretty sophisticated models um, that we've built out to forecast the future, um, all kinds of statistical models and um, other types of mathematical models. But then as things change, we have to change the model. So uh, what we're looking at to get a handle on what's going on are different news providers that we have. So I'll receive thousands of emails a day that I have to sift through from uh, anybody who's tied into energy markets, whether that be Reuters, the Wall Street Journal, or some unconventional sources you might not have heard of. We are using Twitter as well. Uh, that's been a big driver in, in markets, believe it or not. Is um, I mean, our president in the United States here uses Twitter to communicate with his base, and the same is true across markets. So uh, social media has actually become increasingly important and speed is really important. So making sure that you're one of the first people to, to actually get that news and, and translate that to the traders. And then, um, anyone else who might have, uh, uh really kind of depend on, on the news flow. So it's some conventional tools, it's some unconventional tools. And, um, and then it's also our in-house experts as well, that, that I'll chat with anytime I have a question. So really it's a, more of a, synthesizing role where you're trying to take every little bit of information and boil it down to what ultimately is important.
0: That's fascinating that I and I the that you use the word synthesizing because the types of texts that you're using, you know, be it from a conventional newspaper all the way to social media and I, I'm that makes me think do you have a an advantage being kind of a younger analyst because of the way in which you have been more native to maybe social media than maybe some of the more, uh, uh, more seasoned or veteran, uh, analysts as a result of just your experience with that.
1: I hope so. I I mean, my personal view is that, um, there's been a, a big rush to speed in reporting and as a consequence uh, quality has suffered. So sometimes people will be so quick to get a story out, be it Reuters or somebody else, that they'll get uh, facts wrong. So it's helpful sometimes to uh, have a media savvy about you to where you can understand how legitimate a source might be. And then also to be able to use social media and understand where to look, how to navigate a site beyond what's just common of, of searching a, uh, a name or a hashtag, um, being able to do that and uh, vet a source. And I think developing that just socially, uh, as someone who grew up on social, grew up using social media, I think that was pretty helpful because now, being in a professional role, I have to say, okay, is this person legitimate? Do they have a, a accurate view of what's going on in whether that be Venezuela, Ecuador, any place, uh, you name it, it? It becomes a lot easier. Definitely having that uh, media savvy.
0: It kind of brings me back to. Uh, when I first met you as a student in junior AP language so many years ago, and, uh, I was thinking about how you reached out to me in the summer and said, look, there's, is there anything else I can read with this? And then it was somewhere around maybe Thanksgiving where you started to write for sports And so I know it's a long road to get from your blog Sports Warp all the way to here. But can you kind of walk me through the type of path of your how you were able to merge a type of genuine intellectual curiosity about logic sports and how that ultimately leapt into your fascination with energy markets uh, and, and how that got to where you are today?
1: Yeah, definitely. It's been a it's been quite a quite a long path with um, a a lot of ups and downs. And I think the number one thing driving the the initial passion was just the desire to feel connected to the world and the desire to feel like I was playing some part in what was unfolding out there. So I might be in my own personal bubble, but through writing or through um, eventually trading, maybe I might be able to connect to something bigger than myself. And I think that was part of what made Sports Warp so exciting junior year was, you know, I'm sitting here and in, in, uh, I'd be sitting in West Chicago in my my home bedroom and writing things about um, whether it be the Yankees, economics driving, baseball decision making, or um, eventually about Kanye West. And then I'd be able to post that on a platform and occasionally have people who I I thought to be very important, reading my work, interacting with my work, debating with me. It was nice to be a part of that debate. And at the time, being a a 16-year-old kid, to me, the world was sports, right? So, like, uh, whatever was in the newspaper that was interesting to me was probably sports-related. So I thought um, that's everything that was going on, and I wanted to be a part of it. My personal athletic skills weren't uh, strong enough to appear in the newspaper due to uh, athletic success uh, myself. So being able to write about sports was was my way of connecting with that world. And then I started to think about how decisions were made. I thought it was very interesting how executives chose which players to pick up, how much to pay them, and then how to use their uh, management dollars to, to increase the reach of the team in local markets through television, advertising, or, or whatever else it might be. And that's what kind of drove the financial interest. Because it was, it was in your class, actually, that I ended up reading The Big Short by Michael Lewis and then The Greatest Trade Ever by a guy named Gregory Zuckerman. And those books opened up a whole new world to me. Taking that initial desire to feel connected to the world, previously I was doing it through the medium of sports. I then saw, like, wow, there's this whole world, much like sports, where feedback is immediate, right? If you're in baseball and you're at the plate and you swing and you miss, you know right away you have a strike. Well, in finance, and specifically financial markets, if you make a bad decision, you'll probably know pretty quickly uh, that you messed up. and Or conversely, if, if you make a good decision, you'll know pretty quickly. And uh, it, eventually everything in the world moves off of that. So then as I continued to get into markets, I started writing about markets. I started writing more about the interplay between sports and markets before jumping solely into markets. Uh, and by markets, I mean the stock market, the market for oil. The market for yeah, gold, silver, things like that. So, ultimately, what what brought energy onto the table was I heard a handful of people saying very strongly that they felt fracking, something called fracking, should be banned. And at the time, I didn't know anything about what that was, and I sensed that, given how passionate people were about uh, proposing a ban of it, that there's probably more to the argument than what I was learning, and just basic conversations with people in the hallways or at coffee shops or whatever it might be. So I decided to read as much as I could about it. And that's when I really realized that oil touches so much that we do and increasingly renewable energy. But oil itself throughout recent history, at least has been the cause of wars. It's been the cause of countless government decisions. It's brought people out of poverty um, by the millions and it's, it's, it's made many people rich. It's, it's made some people poor, uh, being on the wrong side of bets or, or what have you. And I think just that initial desire to be connected to the world, I still, to this day, haven't found a better way to, uh, to really be at that crossroads of really markets, finance, uh, journalism, logic, and decision-making than oil. I, I think, uh, I think ultimately it is what drives almost some almost every aspect of life in some small way. So that's what sparked the curiosity. I then went to Syracuse and studied finance and energy because I figured uh, if I wanted to to learn about this stuff, I, I, sh- I should learn about it at college and, and do it a- alongside uh, some some pretty impressive mentors who who would hopefully have a lot to teach me. So throughout college, I uh, Long story short, studied that, tested out a few different routes, and then uh, ultimately ended up where I am now at, at BP.
0: Well, yeah, we're not going to shortchange all of your accomplishments in Syracuse. We can pull on that thread uh, a little bit more. But one thing I, I do want to bring up in this conversation is that what I know about you is that, um, it, that if, if we go back to the Sports Warp uh, experiment, was that, you know, You you have a type of, I want to call it risk, but you do take chances and those chances have kind of paid off for you. So you decided to start this sports blog and you wrote it. And then I seem to remember junior year, you wrote yourself into almost to be a a beat writer for, I believe it was the Cubbies for a particular uh, sports blog that was fairly You know, I I don't remember the name of the sports blog, but it was one that was known well enough. Uh, And then obviously you've made some other type of reaches where I believe it was you were doing research for a Wall Street Journal uh, writer as well. I I was wondering if you could maybe just talk about your position on how you um, kind of bet on yourself or you do kind of take these managed risks to kind of put yourself out there. Uh, And maybe kind of walk us through a couple of those uh, scenarios that where you've tried that and it actually has worked out quite well for you. And and, and obviously we'd love to hear because I want to say the Wall Street Journal story uh, also ties back in with fracking, if I remember correctly. So if you could maybe uh, uh, tell the stories about how those two went down.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So the basic framework through which a lot of those decisions were made were when there was an asymmetric risk reward profile. So if I looked at something and thought the entry was very low risk, so as opposed to many different businesses that you could start where you'd have to spend thousands of dollars or even millions of dollars, starting up a blog doesn't cost anything other than your time. And as a junior who was long on time, a junior in high school who was long on time and long on curiosity, and Uh, short on money, that was the type of risk I wanted to take where I could risk no financial capital and um, really just put myself out there and and open myself up to feedback from great writers and um, great minds was an opportunity where it was so clearly um, stacked in my favor where if that thing went wrong or if nothing good came of it, then so be it. I lost some, some of my own personal time that I invested, but I was pretty certain I would learn something from it. So that was the... Really, the thought process behind that, and I think really behind it all was passion. So I was passionate to write. I was passionate to learn more, and I thought there was no better way to to, to pursue those passions than to just go If I remember,
0: and Jake, you, you so also parlayed Sports Warp, and then you kind of then made the leap into Young Money Monsters, and that also opened up some even more doors for you as well. Can you, can you talk about, um, maybe the, the timing of young money monsters and what you accomplished with young money monsters and then how that also, again, created more, opened more doors for you.
1: Yeah. So, uh, it was, I, I think it was senior year in high school and, uh, the Wolf of Wall Street had just came out and a bunch of people were all, all of a sudden interested in the stock market and asking myself and another West was student, um, former West Chicago student, Grant Hostica a bunch of questions about stocks. So we would get these questions and, and constantly be answering them. And we thought, wow, what if there was a website dedicated to teaching young people about stocks? And he had some writing experience and I had just done this sports warp thing. And we, we sat down one day over coffee and said, why don't we just start a website? Why don't we just do it? It's not that expensive because we, we wanted to create Uh, I don't want to say a more legitimate website, but more of a institutionalized website where we'd be able to generate ad revenue and and have sponsored content and things like that. So we sat down, um, put a little bit of money into it and we eventually got back through, through ads and other things like that um, and, and built out the website and then just started writing. And at first we were doing very basic targeted writing. We had a target audience, people age 16 to 19. But as we grew in terms of our own knowledge, so too did our audience, and and all of a sudden we were uh, being scalped by some pretty big names in the finance world. I know Mark Cuban had retweeted a couple oh. of our articles. Uh, who was the uh, the he, he owns a Dallas Mavericks, Shark Tank, day, among other things. A serial yeah. entrepreneur. Yeah. So that was pretty cool. We we interacted with Jim Kramer a little bit on Twitter. Who was um, he's a, a famous journalist slash media personality. And this is on this senior year. so you're just telling me you that I mean, and I remember
0: me. this that senior year that you were getting some major uh, attention from you know some fairly significant uh, financial uh, media figures.
1: Yeah, and it just happened. I mean, it was just two guys. Re- reading and then writing about what they read. And uh, we were lucky that we got picked up a few times by some pretty big names. And then one thing led to another and uh, website seeking alpha, which is is the the, the top stock market research website said, Hey, um, you know, why don't we feature some of your work on our site? And then you can use that as a way to advertise. And we said, that's excellent. And then eventually, after a few of our articles got picked up by them, they said, Hey, why don't we just pay you to write for us? Um, Like we do most of our contributors. And at that point we had made back all of our money on our site. We were both going our different ways in college. So um, it was actually a perfect timed, perfectly timed opportunity for us to, to be able to write when we want um, about what we wanted and um, for a little bit of spending money as well. So uh, things just kept rolling and I just kept writing and, A few other sites syndicated it in in the oil world and in the hedge fund world. So um, it was a a really fun process that all just started with a a pretty simple idea. Um,
0: Now, so the story continues. You head off to Syracuse. And I think, you know, you had a a distinct maybe plan. But I I was wondering when you got to Syracuse, how were you able to kind of curate the type of coursework and – really kind of find the niche of your studies that kind of got you to where you are uh, today. And maybe some of the interning um, choices that you made that kind of provided a a, a, a variety of experiences that made you maybe a stronger financial mind uh, as well. If you could maybe uh, walk us through the story of that as well.
1: Yeah, be happy to. So For me, I was always looking for two things in a class. One, that it would be challenging, and two, that would be interesting. There's plenty of classes that fit one or the other, but um, certainly not that many that fit both. And with that in mind, it became pretty easy to to self-select the courses, and and I try to take as many classes as possible because um, it is a short amount of time in college that you have there to really be in that ivory tower of academia where you're not under nearly as much pressure as you might be. as you probably will be in in a professional capacity. So for me, in addition to taking classes around financial markets and financial modeling, I also took a probably even more classes outside of that space. So I took one class, um, baseball and American culture, which is all about how baseball shapes our culture and how culture shapes baseball. And Thinking about that enables you to really kind of sit back and use muscles of your brain that haven't been worked in a way that they might have been in a financial setting. So then when you're in a financial setting and you're dealing with a once in a million situation where there's nothing in a textbook about how to handle it or how to analyze it, you have that mental framework to address it because you just spent a full semester thinking about how baseball card prices move in relationship to the stock market, which is Mm -hmm. something that you might never otherwise had um, to think about which analytical tools you might want to use. So I think that was helpful. And then, um, studying abroad was helpful, exposing myself to as many different people as I could, people from all walks of life, people who see things differently, uh, just really the diversity of thought and culminating that um, that dual challenge of being both, of course, challenged by the coursework and also interested.
0: Yeah, I, I think that was just uh, so uh, interesting to always kind of keep in touch with you to see the types of projects that you're working on, uh, over the summer. So, uh, walk me through as well. Um, uh, how did you then, uh, find your way to your current job, specifically the, the manner of how you got the internship, the type of, um, projects that you worked on and ultimately how did you decide, uh, to uh, select a BP as your, um, as your first uh, job out of school?
1: Sure. So I tried a few things out before I tried BP. So I went the, what I consider the the conventional path for people who are interested in finance, which is um, going to a very large bank investment bank on wall street. So I spent my freshman year summer in an internship I obtained through career services at Syracuse at Merrill Lynch. So Merrill Lynch is um, owned by Bank of America now, so I was able to see two very different aspects of the banking world. I was in a marketing role there, but I I got a lot of exposure to the trading floor and and, uh, financial decision-making through some stuff I did uh, as kind of like a side project throughout my internship. I came out of that experience uh, having grown a lot. I think I matured a lot having spent a summer in an office setting which is something I had never done before. And and every day being accountable to to other people and uh, accountable to a team of people that was important. But I felt like the, um, I felt like the fact that the energy aspect of the role was at most a side project was not something that fulfilled me. I was like a passion that I was continuing to itch. I just couldn't satisfy in my existing role. So I decided to try something different the following summer. And I had a mentality of, I'm 19 years old. I probably, if things work out and, and I stay interested in what I'm interested in, will probably end up in some type of a financial markets role out of college. So I wanted to try something within a corporate environment where a physical product is made because I wanted that experience of seeing how products flow across the country and more broadly across international borders. So that's what brought me to Macy's my sophomore year summer. And that was an absolutely awesome experience. There's so much change going on in the retail world and seeing how one of the largest corporations deals with that and how they internally deliberate over um, the rapidly evolving landscape that is e-commerce and um, what they call the omni-channel, so multiple forms of, of reaching consumers through retail. Uh, it was just really fascinating. But again, I uh, I was lucky enough during that summer to have a lot of uh, exposure on trading floors and shadowing people in, in other roles, and that's what really sparked my passion. And uh, when I was in high school, we visited BP's trading floor in Chicago through uh, my high school economics class with Mrs. Fickus, and that experience stuck out to me as the place I wanted to work because everyone I met there seemed passionate about what they did. They had a clear mission as a company, which is uh, to address the dual energy challenge, which is one, providing a growing society, the energy that it demands to power its uh, mobility needs and its electricity needs. And then number two, the the second aspect of the dual challenge is the fact and the reality that uh, the the energy sources that we've historically known them are are, um, hurting our atmosphere. So we need to find a way to provide fuels to society while at the same time mitigating and eliminating the environmental impact of those fuels. So seeing a company uh, that engaged in the type of activities I wanted to engage in in terms of um, in trading energy products and then secondly had a similar philosophical mindset. Uh, as myself in terms of addressing what I see as the dual energy challenge. And of course what um, BP states explicitly that they also see as the dual energy challenge. um, It it just seemed like the perfect fit. And it seemed like something that uh, uh, was a a great opportunity for a young guy like me. And uh, when I interned their junior year summer, I was just continuously given project after project that just made me more and more excited to work there because um, in, in a lot of corporate settings, from from what I've heard from some of my peers, is that you're not always given that much responsibility. You're more there to kind of sit back, watch, and learn, whereas um, in my current role, especially and, and also in the summer, I saw that, hey, this is very much a place where those who can't do and, and those who want to, well, will get to as long as they're willing to work for it. So um that's what brought me here and, and
0: I yeah actually, it seems uh, like you've really found a really nice niche to the extent that you have the best of both worlds you're a- you're able to pursue um, these um, research goals, but you're also in a team environment where you're all working for a similar goal that re- that really kind of hits all the notes in terms of really having a fulfilling uh, job. Uh, and I, I, that's just uh, that's so great uh, to see that that is. Your, your daily uh, um, uh, kind of activity that would fulfill you in such a way. Uh, Jake, you've been so uh, generous with your time, uh, but I was wondering if you could maybe leave us with some advice or kind of tips for, uh, for success for any current Wildcats about how to, you know, how to, how to best achieve their goals, words of wisdom.
1: So I think the number one thing is at a young age is finding somebody that you look up to and spending as much time with them as you possibly can. For me in high school, I I thought the the three smartest people I knew were three of my teachers. And maybe to their annoyance, I I tried to ask them as many questions as I could while I was there because – for me, I always felt like I learned the most from people who had experienced interesting things, who had a different type of worldview, and um, who could challenge me to think differently about the things that that I liked to think about. So, um, num- number one is is find a mentor. It doesn't have to be a formal mentorship. You don't you don't have to walk up to somebody and say, "Hey, will you be my mentor?" But if you just say, "Hey, you know, I know you're interested in soccer. I was wondering if you've read any good books about soccer, or if there's any articles you you recommend reading." Uh, you have no idea where that might be able to lead. So um, I think that's number one thing. And then number two is, is stay relaxed, uh, work hard at whatever is interesting
0: to you. Jacob, thank you so much. And uh, hopefully maybe we'll have this conversation uh, with this podcast uh, in a few more years to see where the path takes you as well. Thank you so much.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I, I appreciate it. It was quite the honor to be able to uh, to answer your questions today.
0: Thanks for listening to We Go Places. If you know of a great guest for this podcast, send me an email at bturnbaugh at d94.org. Music provided by Joe Vilcat.com.